Hello and welcome to the GLT podcast series with the Greenshaw Learning Trust and Friends Book Club, where we talk all things teaching and learning with leading educationalists across the world. My name is Rhiannon Rainbow. And my name is Dave Tushingham. This is a place to enjoy listening to organic conversations between teachers and authors, a journey in bringing the latest evidence-based literature into the classroom. Hello and welcome to the GLT is Always Learning, GLT Book Club podcast number 22. I'm Rhiannon Rainbow. And I'm Dave Tushingham. We'll be looking at Be More Toddler today with Emma Turner. Let's get stuck in. Okay, good afternoon and welcome to another GLT Book Club session. This afternoon, we are very excited to be joined by Emma Turner to talk about her book, Be More Toddler. I was just saying to Emma just now that I really do wish it was around a sort of 15, 20 years ago, because um, some of the experiences I've had um, in my teaching career and um, different viewpoints and perspectives on what happens and how that changes when you're a parent. And I'll, I'll, I'll raise that a little bit more during. So this is going to be, uh, it's an absolute cracking book. Dave will talk more about the why behind choosing it. It's an obvious why, but the why and, and the focus on the section we are before uh, we hand over to hear more from the expert in the room, which is Emma. Absolutely brilliant to be joined by you today. Thank you so much, especially given how busy you are. Um, and I'm going to try and remember as much as I can about some of the things that you're involved with and you have been involved with previously. So if there's something significant that I forget, please do say because it's it is quite it's quite an extensive cv you've been an incredibly <laughs> busy person so yes you've taught in schools across the country you've been a local authority lead teacher you have been a consultant for the national numeracy strategy supporting numerous schools um, in 2004, you joined the Latimer Primary School, where you were there for 13 years, initially as a classroom teacher, moving on to become an assistant head. I know that one. I did a similar thing in secondary. And then on to deputy head. And finally, and this, this is incredible, forming one of the UK's first all-female co-headships, which ran for eight years. Um, and it, it's, it's just really incredible to, to listen to your podcasts when you talk about that and, and how just how groundbreaking that is, was, and I think in many respects still is to this day. So you've um, done induction programs for NQTs with your work with Affinity Teaching School Alliance. Um, after 20 years in primary teaching, you left to join the Discovery Schools Academy Trust. Um, working on their research as a research and CPD lead, devising and writing training for staff at all career stages. And they say that you need to be more careful when you become a parent, you know, and look at all of this. <laughs> you are the founder of New Ed, a joyful CPD for early career teachers. It's a not-for-profit approach to CPD to encourage positivity amongst the profession. Um, which is fantastic. You are also a columnist at the TES, an ambassador for the Gender Equality Collective and a member of the Women Ed community, which I've only recently heard about actually in the last 12 to 18 months. How shocking is that? Um, mm -hmm. And I really like this bit as well. That you're an advocate of balance in leadership and family life. You regularly speak at events, but you call yourself the chaos coordinator. <laughs> I have, yes. uh, my husband and I, we are both teachers. Well, he's a head teacher of a primary. I have my role in secondary. We also have three children that attend three different schools. So it does sometimes feel like that in our household as well. So thank you so much for this afternoon. I think I'm going to enjoy it more than anybody else. I, I don't know if that came across at all, Dave, slightly subtly there, <laughs> but I will now hand over to Dave. As you can see, he's far more articulate than I am about these things. I'm just so excited. Oh, thanks, Tree. Um, and thanks, Emma, again for coming to join us. We are absolutely thrilled to have you with us. Um, and, and when reading the book, I just thought this is something that just needs sharing wider because it's something where um, it's really easy to read. It's really easy to sort of get absorbed in the story um, behind and the analogy that's there. Um, in a classroom, I've spent years not really knowing how to articulate it myself, but thinking about my classroom, thinking about these student learners and, and trying to say, well, we all just learn in the same way. Adults learn 
children. And I know there's subtle differences in how we learn, but um, and novices to expert, for example. But um, we we all learn as human beings in this very similar way. We all we all live in the same way. We have the same emotions. We 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 work as um, as, as one like that. And and so to see that analogy and to think about how leadership is connected in that way, I just thought, well, well this is me. This is like <laughs> um, this is how how I I'm going to learn what real leadership is all about. Um, and, uh, and just going through some of those um, chapters and, and some of the sub-chapters, um, the heading just grabs me and I go, oh, I want to know more about that one. That's, so, so the one in particular for me was, um, but I'm a big girl taking the risk. Um, <laughs> and I know through my career, I've been really selfish here, but I know through my career, um, I've been somewhat restricted, I think, in, in that, um, that, that taking a risk, in that sort of... I'm going to go for this, see what happens. If I make a mistake, it's okay. Um, I'm always worried about what other people think. And, and when talking at home with my wife, I'll say to Becca, um, I, I want to do this. And she'll say, are you doing it for you? Or are you just doing it for that person because you think they might like you at the end or you think that it might impress them? You? And, and I'm always sort of, you know, wanting to, to get that affirmation and know that what I've done is good. And, and I think children work in the same way as well. Um, but that's always sort of restricting me. And so just reading through, it started to give me this sort of... Um, talked about it before but this permission to make a mistake to take a risk for it to be okay if it doesn't quite work um so, so that was really important to me to read and and there's so many other parts of this book as well i hope that we do digress into other chapters too because there's so many other um so little nuggets i was able to take away and, and go you know what that's really affected how i do my day-to-day -day work now um and sort of psychologically as well as the the actual practical aspects of um of what i do day to day um just coming back to the book i often think well what would it say in the book what would what would the analogy be how would how would that work now i've got to sort of feel like i want to throw my toys out of the pram what do i need to do in order to have the success in order to do this right i want to get this message across to someone and i don't feel that it's being heard how am i going to structure that and process that and, and i just think that the book is is such a such a sort of enjoyable but um, informative read and, and just thank you so much for, for being here to share some of your ideas as well. Wow, thank you. That's a big intro to live up to. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Um, and it's great that you've kind of enjoyed reading the book. It was an, it was an interesting one how it came about and it was an interesting one to write um, because like Rhiannon said, I didn't think there was anything out there that, um, that kind of resonated with me as a as a leader and a parent and at the time I was doing part-time leadership and part-time leadership and juggling three very small children so I just wanted to write something that looked at leadership from a completely different angle that said you know you don't have to be this ever-present superhero specific type in a specific mold you know come out of the phone box with the cape flapping and you know I'm here to save the school and save the world there is another way of doing things and um it would have been really easy for me to leave education at the point where I started to write the book. As I say in the first bit, where I'd gone to the soft play centre with a five-year-old, a two-year-old and a newborn, which I don't recommend, <laughs> really, on your, on your own. And the baby's only a couple of weeks old. It's not, it's not the wisest parenting move. But I did bump into a, a former colleague who was a, a previous head teacher of mine. And he spoke to me and he said, oh, you know, you were always so brilliant. You were going to do this and you always did this and you always did that. And it's so nice to see you. And it was lovely to talk to him. And then, um, I went and sat in the ball pit, as you do, surrounded by unmentionable other people's bodily fluids and sticky bits of plastic. And what have you. And uh, I was trying to text my co-head colleagues, say, guess I've just seen it. it was so lovely to see him. And then I suddenly had this realisation that. He'd spoken about me the entire time in the past tense. And I just thought, oh, wow, I feel really sad now. It was almost like there I was in the midst of all this chaos. And I was, instead of this kind of dazzling, really successful, happy person making a real difference in the world, um, I was kind of like diminished. And I suddenly thought, oh, oh, is this it then? Maybe I do need to step away. Maybe I can't have it all. Maybe I can't work and contribute to the organization and be a parent and um and then I just looked to the side of me and my two-year-old at the time was climbing up this set of steps bang she fell down up she went bang she fell down I'm sure never once was she phased at all that she kept falling down never once she just carried on got up carried on going and I just suddenly thought then I just need to be more like her I just I just need to 
that might have been, felt like a knock that I've just had, but actually, instead of becoming part of the demographic that leaves teaching, the biggest demographic after retirees, which is women aged 31 to 40, which I was at the time, not anymore. <laughs> I've moved demographics, I'm very upset about it. Um, but I, I thought, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to become a statistic. I'm just going to be more like my middle one. I'm just going to do what she does and just keep on going. So I kind of had an epiphany in the ball pit at soft play. Other people have an epiphany in like a, a religious building or a beautiful part of the, of the countryside or in the top of a mountain or something. No, I had it in, in a ball pit. So that's where mine occurred. But I suddenly thought, you know, it'd be so easy for me to step out and step away. Um, but what I really want me to do now is that I need to step up. I need to, I need to take this, take this on and do it and do it really well. Um, and then I started to look at the other things that the children, my children in my house were doing and how they'd affected change in every single aspect of our lives as a family. Um, everything from where we ate to how the house was organised to, you know, where, what we did as a family. I would include sleep in there, but none of mine have ever slept. <laughs> I give false hope to anybody who's got to, mine never slept, the insomniac trio of sleep thieves. Um, but they changed everything. And I thought, how did they do that? How did they change everything that we do as a family um, when they can't even speak and they can't even use the toilet? <laughs> so uh, if they can do that, if they can affect whole scale organizational change, how do they do it? And that's when I started looking at how they actually do affect change in the family and then started applying it to my work at school. And when people see the type of Be More Toddler, they think it's about throwing your weight about, lying on the floor and having a massive tantrum if something doesn't go your way. Um, but actually, if you've got a toddler, as well, you know, most of the time, they're utterly delightful. Um, they don't necessarily throw tantrums a lot of the time. They do on occasions, but <laughs> not all the time. But it was looking at their positive behaviours and, and how, how they managed to, uh, as I say, um, affect change in such subtle, beautiful little ways, and then applying that to my, to my work in school, which is where the idea came from initially. <laughs> um, do you want me to talk about the bit about risk then, Dave? Oh, if, if you don't, I've got loads that I want to talk back at, um, about this. I've got so many things that come out of that. But yes, please, if you don't mind um, okay. sharing that particular chat, that would be amazing. Yeah, there's a section in the book about, you know, taking risks and a, a bit like when um, my middle one was going up and down those steps those steps were massive you know, they if they'd have been scaled up for an hour size it's it's ridiculous the size of those steps but they don't care you know toddlers just center themselves absolutely wholeheartedly in the moment in what they're doing they're completely unencumbered by any other mental load other than what they want to achieve they're unselfconscious about things. They're not constrained by fear. They just kind of go for it. And that was part of the, of the attitude as well as a leader that we kind of need to embrace that we are so shackled sometimes by the fear of what might go wrong that we don't then make any progress because we're so worried about what other people might think or what other people might do or it's, it's not been done before. But yes, you need to be risk aware and you're not going to do things that you know put people in immediate danger or threaten somebody's jobs, you know, job security or you know, or have a real detrimental impact on the pupils or the, the community that you work with. But you don't have to do what everybody else does. You have to do what's right for your demographic, for your school, and for your way of doing things as well. And that's what toddlers do. They just do um, what's in the moment, what's right. Um, and that's what we kind of need to to build on really um, and I talk in the book very much about the fact that every day to a toddler is an adventure and, and part of it their adventure is because they are taking risks all day they are pushing constantly to do more to learn more to find out more to go to different places and um, to explore what's out there and as leaders we need to do that we need to see risk taking not as um as a frightening thing in our role but actually as a real adventure a chance to do something different to learn to grow to develop but what that has to be set against and i talked about this earlier in the book is this idea of the chocolate and the celery because um uh i explain in the in the book how difficult it is to take chocolate buttons off a child you know, it's virtually impossible and i remember this awful day in the post office where my eldest one, when she was really tiny, had 
somehow managed to virtually shoplift this packet of public buttons. I was trying to get back off and put back on the shelf. There was no way on, on earth she was giving me those things. And she held on to them for dear life. She was not going to give them back. She was holding on and kind of hold the line. And that's what I thought you need to have in leadership. First and foremost, in anything you do, you need to need, know what you're going to hold dear, what you are not going to give up on regardless of what happens. She did not care that all those old ladies in the post office queue were tutting like a Geiger counter. She just did not care. This was what she was going to hold on to. And very often in leadership, we don't necessarily really define what we, what we believe, what we absolutely will fight for and hold on to. The flip side of that is the celery. Now, my children are all very different, but they are a trinity of celery haters. Um, it doesn't matter what to do with it, they will not accept it. But having that conversation of what's well in your school as a leader this is what we will accept and hold on to this is what we believe and this is what we will never accept this is the celery you know we will not tolerate this in our school this is not how we work and communicating those two things really simply this is what we believe in and what we want what we stand for what we hold on to and this is what we will not tolerate because what those two things then become is the filter and the foil for deciding what to do in your school does it align with what you believe in? Yes, that's probably a good idea. You know, does it fall into the salary camp? Not for us. And if you've articulated that to teams, to the community, to the pupils, they're going to come with you because they know what you stand for. If your vision and your values is like a massive, long, verbose list of complicated words that nobody really understands or is, or is vague, you know, the people can't come with you because they don't know what you're about. And in terms of risk, people won't take risks in their own role and develop and progress and challenge within their own departments or whatever it is, because they're unsure if they're doing the right thing. Now, if you've got a really clear set of this is what we believe, this is what we won't stand for, people are more likely to take a risk, have their own adventures in your team, develop as a team, because they're clear about whether it will be kind of viewed positively or not. So by having that clarity about what you believe in and what you stand for, encourages risk-taking to not be risky it's actually that adventure I'm talking about because it's clearly defined that this is the path that, we, that we're going on um, the only thing I would say about risk about taking on new challenges and new adventures is that not all good ideas are good ideas at that time <laughs> and the analogy that I use is about the trousers like you might have some hand-me-downs given to you for your child that are perfectly you know usable they're absolutely lovely they are going to be brilliant, but not now. Um, and one of the things that in, in leadership we can get distracted by when we're thinking about taking risks and development is too many good ideas. Um, and actually thinking, will this work in my setting and does it need to work now is a really important question to ask because just like those trousers, they may be perfectly serviceable and absolutely fine, but way too big at the moment. So if you put them on your toddler, they're just going to walk around and whack her head on the coffee table when they fall over. So all good ideas are good ideas, but not all good ideas are good for your organisation at that point. So that helps with the risk taking as well, is to recognise, as my colleague Phil says, a dog can only chase one rabbit at a time. <laughs> it may be a brilliant idea, but you can't do everything all at once. So prioritising those things against your chocolate and your celery and making sure everybody knows where you're going is part of that risk taking as well. It's interesting. Um, Doug Lamoft used a similar analogy as well about if you try and chase a load of rabbits, you're never going to catch anything. So so just go after <laughs> the one. Um, and it, it is so true. And um, I think I think I'm going to have to Dave, you, you're going to have to stop me at certain points today because and interject because I'm going to love this. Um, there are there are so many things throughout that that it's just really refreshing to hear to hear it being spoken about and articulated and that it's okay to do so, that it's okay to, to think about things in a different way. Um, my experiences before now have been in incredibly patriarchal systems and structures, and there are benefits to all sorts of things, but that was, it helped to make me fight back it helped to make me really dogged and determined and if I explain a couple of reasons why and and this is my experiences that I'm trying to take into my leadership and help to support others 
So when I was um, 24 and I was returning from maternity leave from my first child, um, I was second in department for a large 11 to 18 uh, school in maths, you know, brilliant position to be in. And there were two older men who were conducting that interview and their advice for me at the end was that I might want to consider my future career choices now I'm a mum and all I thought then was I don't think you'd have said this to any male colleagues who were returning to work afterwards right okay I'm going to stand my ground and I'm going to make sure I come back to my role and I'm going to make sure that you hear my voice that there are changes that that I can help to carve a way forwards, but it, it doesn't, it just doesn't happen overnight. And then a few years later, when I'm applying for head of department role in the same school, so six years later, um, head of department, I now have two children, and um, one of the deputy heads turns around and goes, are you sure you're up to this role? And I thought, is that just me that they've said that to, or are there others? And then it just, I just got the bit between my teeth then. And I thought, fine, right. I'm absolutely gonna make this job mine now. So I wonder if that's almost, for, for me, part of my chocolate, my salary, or actually I think it makes, it helps me to handle risk. Because if somebody tells me I can't do it, I go, okay, now I'm going to do it. But up until that point, I'd be really tentative and unsure. And I think that's kind of the wrong way to do it. It, it should be me saying, OK, I'm going to give this an opportunity. And hopefully there are people out there that I'd be able to talk to about it constructively and support me, like in the situation and, and with the colleagues that I have now. So my hope is that I can help avoid others going through that when they've got their workings with me. So I just... Oh, I just wanted to share that <laughs> there are so many of these experiences that people have, but they are much fewer and far between now. Yeah, I think that's partly you've teased nicely to talk about my other book, the, the, um, the book Let's Talk About Flex, because actually what's happening in that situation is somebody looking at a traditional working pattern and saying this traditional working pattern doesn't look particularly compatible potentially with raising a family that uh, you know a mom or a dad what we really need to look at system-wide is actually how we ask people to do the body of work that they're doing in school and actually having a little bit of wriggle room and a little bit of movement around when um, how often and where we do the work in schools because kind of tying people to a building from eight till six every day or whatever time you work in school isn't necessarily compatible if you've got very small children. So actually, it's an, kind of a, an organisational infrastructure that precludes people from, from progressing potentially. And that's anybody who needs to work flexibly, be that, you know, parent, somebody with a caring commitment, somebody who has their own um, health challenges, somebody who's um, going through a period of you know, ill health or disruption at home or who wants to study or set up a business you know the whole system around how we work in schools does prevent so many diverse voices from from coming to the especially the leadership table because there is this view of leadership being a specific number of hours worked in a specific number of way on a specific number of days a week um, and historically yes a lot of women have cited leaving teaching because they didn't get that flexibility or or that it was kind of all or nothing um but i do think the work that's going on around flexible working and we, we're a, um, a dfe flexible working ambassador school through the ambassador schools program working on flexible working to make sure that more people regardless of what the pulls on their time are at home can stay in leadership can stay in teaching and can continue to contribute all of those skills and all of those that knowledge and experience to the profession because you don't want to lose people like you. You know, you don't want these people who are hungry to contribute because they can't or aren't being accommodated because we have such an old kind of archaic way of working and teaching compared to the wider world of work. It's crazy. But that's another story for another day. <laughs> and I think it's um, I, I suppose part of the risk taking that, that I've taken from this is, is to talk and be open about things. And if, if I give an example of, I've done so much reflecting after listening to you, I think you can tell, um, is 
I was in a previous senior leadership team and I've been at a meeting that is overrun. Um, 13 people in the room, three of us are female, the heads PA, the Senko and myself. And I've said, I'm really sorry, but I need to go and pick up my children now. I wasn't allowed to leave. I couldn't even physically get to the door. They, they wouldn't let me go. And I was panicking because there's nobody wow. to pick up my children. Um, and that, that still haunts me. So then for me, the refreshing thing was when I joined uh, a new senior leadership team in a new school, I knew this was a place I wanted to stay because when they were talking to me about joining the senior leadership team, I said, but you have meetings at quarter to eight in the morning. I drop my children off at school. I, I can't make it every day. They said, that's fine. Just make it to the times you can come. Hmm. And I, for, I just thought, why, why is this new news? But if I hadn't have asked, if I hadn't have felt able to have that conversation, I then wouldn't have joined that senior leadership team. I'm not saying we have to talk about it, but it, it helps to have those conversations. So everybody's more understanding of, of yeah. where it might need to flex and, and, and bend to, to, to help to make it happen. Yeah, and if you don't ask, you don't get, as my mother says. <laughs> uh, there's so many people that are fearful of asking for what they want. I mean, the co-headship's a classic case of that because at the time when we were setting up the co-headship, um, I was literally just about to start IVF treatment. And at the time, my co-head partner, she hadn't got NPQH. And at the time, we needed NPQH to do a headship role. So I was well, hopefully I won't actually be here um, you can't technically do it on your own. How about we do it together? And like nobody at the time had really ever done that. I'd read one random DFE paper that, about a co-headship that was somewhere at the opposite end of the country. And so we were like, well, we could just ask. And I don't know whether it was kind of naivety or the arrogance of youth or just, you know, barefaced chutzpah, you know, just to go up and go, can we do this? <laughs> but it's, if there are so many people who are fearful of um, of asking a question and like be more toddler they ask questions all day long and that is how they learn and that is how they grow and that is how they develop if we're too fearful to ask the questions that will serve us and our organization we're actually doing the children a bit of a disservice as well because if we if we know we can do the job and do the job really well and we don't ask the questions that help to keep us in post then not only are we disadvantaging ourselves, but we are disadvantaging the children that we teach because we will be gone out of their lives. So if you don't do it for yourself, do it for the students that you teach. <laughs> Absolutely. Go on, Dave. It's, I'll hand over before I monopolise it too much. Oh, thank you. I'm, I, I try not to finish before half past five now. I've written so much down myself as well. Um, I mean, the first thing I've written down is I want to be more like you. Um, I need to be that person that can take that risk and, and want to... I want to get to that stage um, where, where I do give myself permission to do that. Um, I think we work in a fantastic trust. We're really fortunate ourselves uh, where I've been in uh, meetings within our trust um, and it's been in another academy and I've had the time to go back, do some of my work there. Um, and I've been told to go home, spend your family time. The work that you're describing can be done at any time spend time with your family and then go on. Um, our CEO tweeted out about um, how um, family comes first, work comes second um, only last week. And, and it just feels like a, a place where you can really thrive. Um, and very honestly, that's where I think this book club has come from as well, that we feel like we can have permission and, and take those risks and, and have that adventure. And it really has been an adventure over the last 12 months for us, just getting to meet people like yourself and, and be able to talk to, um, to, to authors and, and understand more and, and be able to directly think about what it means for us. Um, so for me, just listening to, to what you're saying there, um, it's, it's about tenacity. It's about sort of seeing, seeing the vision, knowing what you want and making sure you're, you go out and you do everything you can to get it. So um, I measure success when I'm working, um, not whether um, we, we get the results that we want maybe with the students. And this might seem really backwards, um, but I don't look at whether I got plus 0.5 in my class as success. Success for me is did I, did I put everything into that year? Did I do every single thing that I could do? Um, and, and I've had years uh, where maybe I haven't been as, as energetic or enthusiastic about the role as others, and, and they're the ones that are less successful, put the, put the results aside. So it's all about the tenacity and really just going for what it is that you want to get. 
Um, and, and I get to this point where I, with a book club, it's been great because I, I have somebody that I work with who, who really sort of nurtures that positivity and, and, um, and is really sort of sympathetic and empathetic about any time that, that things don't go right. And, and you, you know that you can take that risk um, without it actually being a real risk. But um, sometimes when you're in the classroom or, or maybe you're leading, leading your department, um, the, the feeling of risk is, is really there. And, and, and the analogy of maybe, I don't know, the adventure of a bungee jump or something, and you, you get to the end, um, you're about to jump off, and there's something in your body, in your mind, it just stops you doing that. Um, even though you've done those action steps, you've looked strategically, you've spoken to all the stakeholders, and there's that part of your brain, that chimp on your shoulder that still says, don't do this. Um, and it's about, it's about, I guess, small steps in terms of going, look, this is where we want to get to, but it doesn't just change overnight. Tomorrow you're not going to go in and just be risk-free, but, um, but it's about how do you go about doing that and, and almost the mindfulness around being able to, to sort of go in and, and look at what you want to get and, and being tenacious, but also being able to, to park that, that negative feeling too. Um, I don't know if you've got any advice on, on how you might do that or, or any experiences that may be linked to, to anything there, but, um, but it's certainly something which this book has really motivated me to, to go further on that journey. I just think it's wonderful. Just unmuted myself because in the background, my very well-briefed parents to keep my three children quiet in the background seems to be having some kind of carnival. Just us. <laughs> so I apologise if there's loads of squealing and shouting and all sorts of well-briefed. Stay in the kitchen, keep the door shut and don't shout. I think they've just read that as come out of the kitchen, open the door and shout as much as you can. So I apologise for <laughs> children in the background. <laughs> in terms of risk-taking, you know, you kind of take risks every single day in leadership. Every decision you take is a little bit of a risk. You know, you, you know, the conversation that you have with somebody where you're maybe kind of asking them to do something different or in a different way is potentially risky because you don't know necessarily how it's going to be received. You know, you've got big whole scale risks, like when you're adding another building to your, you know, your site, you've got risks when you welcome a whole new cohort of parents in on the opening. You know, you put, that's a risk as well because you're actually presenting yourself and your organisation. The thing that I come back to in terms of risk every single time it's alignment with your vision and values, but also is making sure that you've got a really good mentor as well, somebody to look up to, because risk doesn't seem that risky if you've talked it through with somebody who's potentially done something similar before. And in the book, I talk about asking for help about, you know, the monster under the bed, that actually there are lots of things in leadership that are really scary, that, that are really genuinely frightening. There are things to do with child protection. There are things to do with... Um, HR, there are things to do with, with recruitment, there are things to do with, uh, with finance, you know, you're massive, managing a massive budget of public money. It's really scary on occasions. Now, in the book, I talk about when a toddler has a nightmare, they don't wake up in the night and go, I'm just going to deal with this by myself. I'm just going to sit here quietly and just work it through. They don't do that. They just go, and it always is me, mommy! You know, and they shout for help, you know, and, and, and they come and tell you, they don't care that it's two o'clock in the morning. You know, they, they come in and they're like, this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. Or in some uh, one night, mummy, my hair is hurting. <laughs> you know, or, or I don't like my sock. But they, they don't care about what's going on. They seek help from somebody and then unafraid to seek help. And one of the things about risk is why it feels so frightening is because we take it on our own a lot of the time. So you can't take risk on your own and come out emotionally unscathed consistently. You might be able to do it once or twice, but actually it's a real dream. So finding somebody who's a brilliant mentor. Um, and I, I've talked about two kinds of mentors that you need. You need, the, you need the one that's like the professional mentor that's done the job, that inspires you, who you trust, who you can talk to, who you can offload to, who you can ring and go, I don't know anything about this policy I'm meant to have. Have you got one? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> or somebody to talk over, you know, the really um, difficult child protection or staffing case, and you know that's going to go no further. That is support for you. Um, but you also need somebody outside of work who knows you, who's got nothing to do with work at all, who knows you as a brother or a husband or, you know, a mom or sister, or daughter, 
who just loves you for being you as well. Because when you're taking risks at work, it can be quite, quite draining. And you need to make sure that every risk you take that potentially drains your resources, that you are restored in some way. And tapping into the networks around you that are the restorative ones is so important. The time spent with family, with friends, the people who love you and the people who know you will give you the confidence as well to say, I was doing the right thing because actually I'm a really nice person. <laughs> like whatever I did came from a good place. Um, and you need that downtime away from the job as well to kind of reflect on what's going on in the job. If you just live the job constantly, risk taking, challenging, pushing, 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 you'll have nothing left to give. You'll just be a husk of yourself. So in terms of when you want to take a risk, align it with your vision and values. Make sure you've chatted it through with a mentor, somebody who knows what they're doing. The, the, one of the great things about co-headship was we had inbuilt mentorship. We could talk to each other. On some days we'd go, that is a brilliant idea. I work with a genius. And then other days we would look at each other and go, frankly, that's the most idiotic thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> but you have to have that. Because if you only ever rely on your own opinion, you're basically at some point going to run into an, run into an issue. So yes, take risks, but align those with your vision, check in with a mentor, and then check in with the people who love you and know you for being something else other than that courageous leader, because you need to be a restored human being in role. And when people say to you, what did you do at the weekend? You don't want to go, oh, I did the SAF and the budget. <laughs> they don't want to they don't want to hear that they want to hear you went for a walk or you baked or you saw your family or you played tennis or whatever. whatever it was that you did you know but you're not setting a great example either if you come into school and you say that you spent your entire weekend updating the appraisal system you know nobody it's just no toddlers don't do that <laughs> oh, i was brilliant. so glad i was muted there because it was the most unflattering laugh i just had <laughs> at that moment <laughs> So it's 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 about keeping our energy levels topped up, yeah. isn't it? What yeah. what are the places we can go to, the people we can be around to help top our energy levels up, to to deal with the challenges that they we are then working with? And I've been so fortunate to to I suppose partner up with when you partner up with somebody who together you're better, you yeah. just make each other better together. And I tend to work with those for quite some time before we're sort of forced to go elsewhere and, and, and still keep in contact. And it, it is so important for us to find those people in our work lives and in our home lives as well. And I was thinking about what, you, what you've written about the, the ways that you've learned from your children and being around children and, 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 and thinking about their approaches. And and I was reflecting on as well. So I usually find it really difficult to challenge or just discuss things with people I feel are above me hierarchically, respective, respectfully, age-wise, all those sorts of things. You know, it's, it's difficult to have a conversation upwards sometimes. And my eyes were really opened and I was so proud of my daughter. So she was in her flute exam about year five, six. And she's got an examiner there. It's an ABRSM examiner, very experienced. They are, um, they travel all over the world examining people on their instruments. And they asked her to do some scales. And she didn't really know what to do. But she had the confidence at that age to turn around to the examiner and very politely and nervously say, I'm really sorry, but I don't think those scales are on the grading I'm doing. And that's my daughter at 10, 11 years old, speaking to a grown up in an exam and saying, I don't think that's the right scales for me. And she was right. And I thought, if my daughter can do that, why can't I? Why can't I find a better way of managing this? Because it's hard. I find that really hard to do. But why do I find it hard to do? I have to find a way around it. And I think these lessons are so important. And I'd parked it. I hadn't really made, consciously thought about it as much as I should have done. But listening to you and reading your book has helped me to 
pick up those other aspects as well and, and think about them more broadly. So I just wanted to thank you for that. <laughs> because uh, I think there is so much if we sit and watch that we can learn from if we open our eyes and realize the opportunities. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm always surprised, well, not surprised so much anymore, but um, when you ask people for help or you, you ask a question of people, I've never actually had anybody turn around and have a massive go at me or sort of tell me I'm completely wrong. If I'm asking about something or I'm asking for support or asking for help or calling something out, most of the time, people are massively helpful. You know, the inner dialogue that we have with ourselves, this kind of inner monologue, um, is often catastrophizing. And actually, most people, especially in education, are actually very reasonable, decent people um, who aren't necessarily in possession of massive egos. So it's okay if you go up and say, look, I really don't know about this, or I'm not sure about this, or can you help me with this, or I wasn't so sure about that. Can you just explain it again? Or we're coming at this from different angles you know most people will not jump down your throat hold a grudge against you forever which you you know eternal damnation on your household so they, they don't do that most people are just really reasonable and, and once you start asking and i talk about it in there once you start asking the difficult question or the stupid question which i always like to ask the stupid question in the room um it just becomes second nature and you realize that most people are, will be absolutely fine about it and I wrote a blog um, from Mick said recently about the fact that um, my family is from Estonia and Estonia has a very flattened hierarchy. There is not a particular culture of hierarchy in Estonia. And I don't know whether this kind of attitude is potentially hardwired into me from my family. Um, but I've, I've never really had a problem just going up to, for want of a better phrase, the most important person in the room and going, tell me all about it. <laughs> But what do I need to know? How can you help me? What can we do? And that's what toddlers do. They walk up to people and just start talking to them or start asking them stuff. And that's how they learn. You know, they never walk out of a room thinking, I've missed my opportunity there. I really should have had a chat with them. I wish, I wish I'd asked them about such a thing. Or, and if they're annoyed about something like your you know, daughter with the scales, you know about it. I don't want that. that I didn't want the red cup. You know, I didn't. That's not what we planned. You said we were going to the park. Why are we in the library? You know, they, they will call you out on it. And, and you don't then turn around and have a massive go at them. It's just, you just explain what's happening. And it's the same, it's the same in any organisation, in any situation. Just ask the question politely. And most people will be absolutely fine about it. The only person who won't be fine about it is your own little monologue that's going on in your head whilst that's happened. And you get the horrible hot red neck. Whilst it happens, <laughs> and the sweaty hand and the pounding heart. But the more you do it, the, the more you become kind of immune to the nerves, really. I think it's, it's about um, another part of your book where it says, don't be afraid to be unpopular as well, isn't it? It's yeah. about um, what, whatever I'm going to say now, um, there'll be some people who like it, there'll be some people who think, well, you know, that's a bit of a waste of time. That didn't make much sense to me, that didn't connect to me. But um, these are things that I'm thinking at the moment that could really support in, in my teaching and, and my sort of further in my learning and um, it sounds like you're describing the book club to me as well in terms of um, just going up and um, and so we joke about it on a, on a Saturday night having a glass of wine or two and then uh, and then just messaging on Twitter Mary Wyatt and Doug Leoff and, and, and others and just saying would you like to come and talk to us we're, we're just a really small group of people who just want to learn and and in the morning just seeing lots of yeses and going oh wow <laughs> and, you know, they're actually talking back did it was just amazing and um but it's that sort of um just approaching someone and just saying well you know i want to learn from you can i can you tell me more and you know when we messaged you and just said would you like to come and chat for us for now and you're such an incredibly busy person but um as you say if you don't ask you don't get and, and we just want <laughs> to we want to know more about what we can do well and and it's just yeah it really resonates and it's really it's that internal monologue, which is the constant battle. Um, but I, I think what I'm learning is, is it's not something to battle, it's something just to acknowledge. Acknowledge it's there. Um, you might feel a bit red in the face when you do it. Um, that's just a feeling that's there. And then we'll, that'll come, that'll go. Um, but I'm going to make sure that I'm, I'm tenacious. I ask these questions. I, I, I'm going to follow my values. I'm going to use that strategy. I'm going to, I'm going to sort of do those action steps that are going to get me to, to yeah. where I'd like to be. And if something doesn't go right, 
is to not have that constant going berating yourself about it you know by all means analyze it find out what went wrong so that you're aware of it so it doesn't happen again you know you don't sort of go I'm never going to think about it again but you kind of pick out okay well I should I could have done that differently I should have done that and next time this happens I'll do that but you know when toddler drops a yogurt off the high chair or you know falls falls off a chair when they don't lie in bed at night going oh I should have done that differently I what about if I'd done this? What about if I'd done that? Oh, everyone must be laughing at me. Oh, everyone thinks I'm a terrible talk. Everyone, they don't do that. They just go, oh, that didn't work. Next time I'll do it differently. Sorry, move on. And that's what we we need to do more in leadership and education is to kind of hold your hands up and go, that didn't go very well, did it? Oh, dear. Um, what can we take from that? Let's move that along, move that forward. It's, it's You only feel bad about when things go wrong if you set yourself up perfection in the first place if you've said right this is where we're trying to go this is what we're trying to do we're going to try this and we're going to push ourselves things might go wrong we'll check in along the way of, of what's working and what's not working um and then we'll kind of keep on going we'll learn from it we what toddlers don't do is learn from stuff and then you know lie in bed berating themselves at night till two o'clock in the morning worrying about talking to Maureen from repro because you upset her yesterday you know they, they just don't do that you know it's and that's why they wake up every day happy and ready to learn and not exhausted because they've been worrying if you know martin in the maths department really has got the hump with them after that feedback they gave them you know it's just they just don't do that <laughs> and they're the leaders that you respect the most as well i think that the, the people that you see visibly actively doing that um mm. are the, the leaders that, that you can relate to the most you can you can trust the most because you know that you're getting a very honest or talking with candor in a really positive way um, and, uh, and and that's um, not being an explicit leadership role myself. That's the sort of leader when I I take that journey that I, I want to be. It's that person that can say, look, that didn't work very well, but never mind. We're going to have and, and I'll do it in the classroom uh, with the students. I'll say, um, if you've done everything you can to understand this concept and you haven't understood that, well, that's my fault. That's something I'm going to go back and reflect on. But I'm not going to worry about it. Just like I don't want you worrying about any mistakes you make because we're all going to just learn together. We're going to make those mistakes. We're going to reflect. And we're going to get better and that's our process in the classroom and and that's something which um it's, it's not different with adults we need to do the same sort of um, you know ethos we need to do the same um same steps i think with uh, within our leadership it's just occurred to me as well you know like in a film in an action film you know hmm. the hero tries to save the world they don't do it first time they have things where ships sink and planes blow up and you know terrible things happen and but nobody goes back when the job's done and goes, do you remember when the ship? You know, nobody does that. You know, and it's the same in kind of school development. I don't mean we're kind of about sinking ships. But, you know, there will <laughs> be points along the journey where things haven't gone right, but you just have to learn from them and keep going. You know, keep checking in with what you believe in. Keep checking in with where you're trying to go and not kind of um, pretend that everything's going to work out beautifully first time. You know, because it's not, especially if you're new to leadership, every single day for that first academic year is your first day because you've never done that day at that point in the academic year. Um, and we learned that in the co-headship, you know, we until we've done that first, you know, go round the track, basically, we hadn't got a clue what was coming up on the leadership horizon. And that's, again, why you need a really good mentor to point out what the leadership landscape looks like. Brace yourself, data weeks coming. <laughs> or brace yourself, it's exam season. It's open evenings. You know, it's all of those business, but you don't know that necessarily the first time round, and you kind of have to recognise that. The flip side was in the chip as well, where we used to pretend we knew exactly what we were doing at the beginning, and people would come to the door and knock on the door, and we'd say, "How can I help you?" And they would tell us these things and we would nod sagely and say, leave it with us. Just, yes, okay, thank you for that information. And we would shut the door and we'd go, oh my God, what do we do? We've got no idea how to do oh, what we're going to do. But the first thing we would do is we would ring one of our mentors or we'd ring the authority or we would ring whichever support, you know, needed for that particular, whether it was estate, whoever it was. And we would get that advice, but, you know, and then we would do whatever it is we needed to do. 
Um, but there was that recognition that we were not going to get it right first time and it was scary and we were taking a risk. But the importance of talking to each other and finding somebody who you go, oh my God, <laughs> because there will be things that happen in leadership which you never thought occurred on planet Earth. <laughs> when people came into my office to tell me things, I was like, is this a wind up? What do you mean there's a horse in the playground? <laughs> it's just bizarre. And we actually had a child as well, and I only thought this happened in the Beano, who had his head stuck in the school railings. <laughs> totally unharmed, absolutely fine. But at the time when somebody came to tell me, I was like, will you stop winding me up? Because this this is this is not even funny now. I'm very busy. <laughs> Um, no, they have actually got their heads stuck in the railings. So the other, that's the other thing to remember as well, that in leadership, however great your plans and however fantastic your adventure, uh, there will be something that kind of throws you off kilter and throws you off course as well, whether it be a horse in the playground or a child with the head stuck in the railings. Or when we actually had our chair of governors who was a vicar an ex-scaffolder up on the roof in the middle of a lightning storm one week, but that's an entirely other story for another day. But recognising in leadership that as well, that um, whatever greater adventure, life will have a bigger adventure for you as well. And I, I just think it's incredibly reassuring to hear and also to, to laugh about it, that mm. it's, this, this stuff happens and it's okay. We will all survive, but we do it together. Yeah. I do remember my first, uh, I was an assistant head under Ben Parnell and um, I was raising standards and curriculum. It was my first time. I'd never even done a timetable before. So it was a very vertical learning curve on the, on the first day of school when I had to redo some of the timetable and reset the entire school. Every day I thought he would ask for my resignation. Over, over half term particularly, I thought he's not going to want me back. Um, but as it grew, I felt better and more resilient and more open about asking for help and and that I felt I owned that seat at the table. You know, I, I was earning my seat at the table. And I think that's one thing that kids never worry about their seat at the table, do they? They're always comfortable. They're always heard. Yes. They're, they're always being involved. They're always owning their space. Mm -hmm. And I remember... Um, uh, uh, speaking to somebody about the job opportunity and I said oh I, I, I didn't get that job they said did you apply for it I said no they said well there you go so I didn't think I could do it they said if you don't give yourself a seat around that table then nobody knows you're interested and even yeah. if right when the job is advertised and when it's time to write the application if it doesn't feel right then it can take months before you actually are in that seat for that role. Mm -hmm. So maybe a few months down the line, it will be the right time. But if you don't take that risk now and try, you'll never know. Yeah. And job descriptions are just a suggestion as well. They're not a set of ingredients. You know, they're not, they're not a precise set of ingredients to make a precise dish. And to be perfectly honest, if you meet all the requirements for a job spec, you're aiming too low. Um, because you can already do it you need to you need to grow into the role as well so it's it's, it's recognizing that you may not have everything but you have a lot of the key components to to make something fantastic out of the ingredients that you do have but it's not a specific recipe that you have to have it's not like dismantling like well putting ikea furniture together and if you haven't got enough screws then the whole thing's going to fall apart it's not like that it's more like um, a store cupboard of ingredients and actually saying, right, okay, which of these ingredients have you got? What can you, what can you whip up from this? What can you create that's absolutely delicious and beautiful? It's not going to be a complete set of, of things that you have to have because if you've already got them, you've got no chance to grow into that role, no chance to develop, no chance to, to add value to your own professional self because you've already ticked that you can do it all. So. And I suppose if you could already do that job, where's the risk? Yeah. If you've already done it, where's the development? Where's the challenge? Where's that, mm -hmm. that opportunity to grow? Um, and that's, uh, it's, it's just fantastic. Um, yeah. so thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the kids at the park. At our local park, there's the toddler bit, and then there's the big kids bit. 
what you should be doing is being the toddler on the toddler bit and going, I want to go on that slide. <laughs> I want to go on the big slide. I don't care if I can't reach it. I'm going to go and have a go on that slide, whether it kills me or not, mummy. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. We definitely, well, there's a benefit. I can watch my children and learn from them even more now. Um, <laughs> I, oh, I've learned so much. Um, and what, I, what I'd what i like to do is, um, I think Emily, so Emily Davis here, and she's got quite um, a challenging um, thing to do now, I think, Emily, because Dave and I and Emma have had some absolutely fantastic conversations and are relying on you now <laughs> to share your takeaway for it, because I really do feel, Emma, I'm, I'm very sorry, but a, a couple of glasses of wine and I could quite happily talk to you all evening. It's been <laughs> fantastic today but I also don't want to forget to, to bring Emily in so she can share her takeaways and then maybe there'll be um an opportunity to reflect or, or, or something on that afterwards if it's appropriate so um Emily I'll I'll hand over to you oh what, what a session <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, yeah, an awful lot. I've been like frantically scribbling notes here and, and there's loads to digest. Um, so I guess for me, there's been kind of two slightly different um, themes that have run through this conversation um, that have been both really interesting and really inspiring. Um, the first is kind of what we can learn from the toddler. Um, and I guess for me, like what stood out has been that um, the simplicity is is key. You toddlers see things very clearly, um, and sometimes we can get muddled, and like so many things can distract us from what our goals are or what we want or how we should go about getting them. And just like keeping that that idea of what would a toddler do is just keep it simple um, and strip it back um, in an unselfconscious way. So without the kind of inhibitions that we learn through our lives and through teenage years and through all those experiences that make us worried about failure and worried about getting things wrong. Um, but also with humility. And I think that's been kind of a nice thing to reflect on that, of course, as a leader, you're still learning and toddler is kind of the ultimate um, kind of image of someone that has to keep learning because they've got all of their life ahead of them to learn. Um, and so kind of the image of a leader in that role, I just think is such a nice way of reminding yourself that you need, you, you need to have humility and you need to seek help and, and advice where appropriate and you you will make mistakes and like a toddler you just can laugh at them or you know cry for a bit but that's okay because <laughs> you're coming back stronger another day um so yeah that's kind of one side of it and then I guess the other side which I've just found really inspiring hearing um you know your personal stories um from you Rhiannon as well um it's just about um uh you know how our profession can benefit from having parents in it and what parents learn from their experiences of um you know bringing up children or you know maybe not, not even parents but kind of broader diversity and just like the experiences that we have that are outside necessarily this like model of a leader who is seven days a week tied to their job um can really enrich our profession enrich our schools and i loved what you said about um yeah like that some of the systems we have around leadership prevents the diversity um but prevents those diverse voices being heard and that really kind of resonated and i think it's yeah something that hopefully will continue to kind of grow and change so um yeah it's both what we can learn from the toddler but also what we can learn from our experiences of being around the toddler i think <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much, Emily. It's so much more articulate and <laughs> and, and better than, than I could have done, uh, which is why one of the reasons why we like to hear from the, the voices of our members. And it's not just Dave and I or the same people coming in all the time. We have different people who come in and do our, our takeaways and, 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 and add to our sessions and bring things to the forefront that maybe, maybe we wouldn't have considered as well. So thank you so much for today, Emma. It's absolutely <laughs> amazing. And uh, I, I think we, we're really gonna wanna talk to you about um, your, your other book as well. <laughs> let's talk about flex I think that that would just follow Anytime. on so well from this because there's still so much to learn but having that sort of a shared language um a, a common reference point to go back to helps to scaffold the conversation and that's what 
what we've been able to to do today um with with thanks to to, to your writing and your work and your time so oh and absolutely the podcast with tom sherrington which <laughs> my, thank you josh uh, which i i will say now that my husband doesn't listen to my podcasts but he listens to those because he says they're brilliant and much better than ours so <laughs> They are so funny working with Tom. I just feel like I'm working with the Oracle. I feel like, like you know how a magician has a an assistant. I feel like a not very glamorous assistant next to the <laughs> Tom Jones. I feel like she have like an education leotard on. It's like today, Tom will be talking about <laughs> like a really awful Rachel Riley. Account. <laughs> have great fun doing that podcast, and it's it's great to talk to so many people and learn from Tom. So yeah, I, I love it. Thanks. Well, no, thank you ever so much. And just a reminder to, to anybody who's listening to this before next week, we've also got um, Sarah Davis and we're going to be talking about her book, talking about Oracy next week. And that'll be at the later time of 6.30. So for those of you who are doing tea time or bath time, it's a really nice way to get out of that one as well, isn't it? So no, just thank you, everybody. I'll, I'll stop the recording now.